0: So we're in Asking for the Friend. Last week, we answered questions that you have about LGBTQ, what the Bible says about that. If you missed it, I hope you'll go back, find it online. It's on YouTube. You can check that out. Um, Next week, here are some of the questions I'll look at next week. When we pray and stand in faith for a miracle for someone to be healed, what keeps those prayers from being answered? Anybody ever wondered why certain prayers don't get answered? So we're going we're gonna to get into that. Um, how do I get better at getting closer to God? That's a good question. That's sort of a prayer question. So we're going to lump that together with prayer. And then this one, if God is in control, why does he let bad things happen? All right. So I'm going to try to answer that one. I'm secretly hoping for the rapture to happen before I get to that one. <laughs> That's a toughie. Uh, but I appreciate y'all having so much confidence in me to be able to answer that. That's next Sunday. Don't miss next Sunday. Um, today is really heavy for my heart. Um, a lot of times I get a lot of controversial questions and I don't mind going there. I do get a whole lot of Facebook messages and and debates back and forth, but a lot of you ask about depression and I'm really excited to talk about this today because it's really been on my heart. I've been, uh, counseling with a lot of people uh, suffering from depression. Uh, I I know uh, a lot about this issue. Some of the questions that you turned in are depression and suicidal thoughts, signs that I doubt God. It's a good question. Maybe you've wondered that. Um, If I have God in my heart, shouldn't my depression go away? Great question. Uh, Another question, why doesn't the church address mental illness other than to say, just pray? Those are good, really good questions. And and before I get into this, one point I I really want to make, and I have read every question you guys have turned in. By the way, I welcome you to keep turning in questions all through this series, Uh, so you can put them on the back of your worship guide, drop it in the bucket. They'll put it in a list for me. I've read every question multiple times. And I I just want to say this, you need to go to church every single Sunday. You need to be in church every week because these are really the things I I preach on really every week. A lot of the questions that you guys are are asking are are things I've gone into detail over and I'm, I'm happy to circle back and talk about them again and learn more and get fresh revelation and keep talking about it. But this is a church. God spoke to me years ago and, and, and I just knew, I heard the Lord say these words to me, a revival of relevance, a revival of relevance. And, and I determined then what God was trying to tell me is we don't need another church that has just really nice people that come together and is totally irrelevant to the community around it. God doesn't need another church like that. So, so we determined years ago, we're going to build a church that gets to right where you are because actually this, this book does speak to every question in life. And so I want to challenge you... Do yourself a favor. Make a covenant between you and the Lord. God, I'm coming to your house every week. And if you can't physically get in the building, come online, join us online. I'm going to hear the word. I'm going to hear what God has to say to me every single week. I'm going to be in a process where I don't miss it. Because here's what's happening. You got six and a half days every week of of the culture, the world's culture just pouring into you through where you work, through Netflix, through TV shows, through social media, it's just pouring into you six and a half days and you set aside part of one day to say, okay, I'm going to stop all that. I'm just going to bask in the presence of God with the family of God. I'm going to hear the word of God in my life. That's not enough, but you definitely can't do without that. Somebody help me and say, amen. amen. So I just want to challenge you one more time, make a commitment for yourself, for your family, for your future, that worship with the people of God is a priority, okay? Now, to this question, if I'm depressed, is that a sign that I don't have God in my heart? Well, let's talk about a quote. i want to start with a quote from a believer, okay? This is a person who professes to believe in God, and they said this, God has driven me, brought me into darkness. God did this. Without any light, God did that. And he has broken my bones. He's made me dwell in darkness. Though I call and cry for help, God shuts out my prayer. Somebody who claimed to believe in God said that about God. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that guy's going to hell like a bullet. But actually, that's in your Bible. And it's written by the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah dealt with so much depression that he was called the weeping prophet. In fact, he wrote a whole book called Lamentations, where he laments about his miserable life and the community around him and how miserable things were. So so there are a lot of people battling with depression. They might have a smile on their face. They might be serving God. In fact, I believe right now more people are struggling with mental illness and depression than ever before in human history. I think we're living at a pace God never designed our bodies and minds to go at. We're living at a pace our souls are not designed to go, and God is stubborn. A lot of you have the spiritual gift of stubbornness. God's more stubborn than you are. He's immovable. He never, never changes. Some of you never change, but you're not perfect. You need to change. God is perfect, so he never changes, all right? And so we can speed up and say, come on, God, get on board with what I'm doing. And God's like, nope, I'm on the right pace. You're going to have to get on my pace. And our world is just out of step. It's it's completely at the wrong pace. And and so we're battling. And and, and you know what? Christians and non-Christians are in the exact same battle. I imagine that when Pastor Charles Spurgeon stood in front of his 5,000-member congregation, the largest congregation in the world in 1886, and he said these words, I have spent more days shut up in depression than anybody else here. I imagine they were shocked to hear that their pastor, who many people to this day think was the greatest preacher who ever lived, battled with depression. He frequently considered quitting the ministry and going away from everyone else because of his depression. I would say he was a believer. (laughs) Or Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, which makes him the father of every church not Catholic. Just to put that in perspective, he's a pretty important person, all right? And Martin Luther was so depressed so often that his wife his wife hid the butcher knives and the steak knives from him. Literally in the kitchen, you couldn't find a steak knife. She was afraid he was going to take his own life. In fact, he said this, these words once, quote, for more than a week, I was close to the gates of hell and of death. I trembled constantly. I could find no thoughts of Christ, only desperation and blasphemy of God. So can a believer struggle with depression? Come on, everybody answer me on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes, Yes. everybody can struggle with depression. It's a real issue. Now, you might not want to call it that. You might say, well, you know, I'm just kind of in a, in a, in a, in a funk right now, or I'm down in the dumps." Well, call it whatever you want to call it. It's you not being on your toes. It's you not optimistically seeing the plan of God for your life and your future with expectation. There's a clinical real thing there that a lot of people just want a strong arm and say, that's not me. I'm tougher than that. I'm stronger than that. Only weak people get depressed. I'm telling you, that's not true. Okay. And it's not a sign that you don't have faith. In fact, I want to show you today, I've chosen one person. I could have chosen many people in the Bible. Paul is one that I I read a lot about, and I decided I didn't have enough room to talk about Paul today. He struggled with depression as well. But I want to talk about Elijah today, specifically because there's 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is on the top of the world, literally on a mountain. 1 Kings 19, he's literally in a valley and figuratively in a valley, one chapter later, and he, he lays out in his story four steps that will lead any person to depression he did them and some of us do those same four steps and then god shows up in his life and gives him what i notice as three steps to get you back into the land of the living again so i want to show you both of those if you're taking notes i'm going to walk you through the four things he did wrong and the and the three things he did right first of all let me just say he was so powerful that he in 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 1 kings 18 he literally calls down fire from heaven defeats 850 prophets of a false God. He raises a dead person back to life at one point in in his ministry. I mean, he's that powerful, but after frustrating the false prophets, Jezebel, who was a follower of that false God and the queen of of, of the region, she says, I'm going to have him killed. Now all 850 of those grown men wanted to kill him and he actually defeated them. But this one woman scares him. It just proves to you, man, a Jezebel will get you every time. He takes off running out into the wilderness, out in the desert, and he asks God to take his life. He is suicidal. It looks like if there's anything around him that he could have used to take his life, he might would have done it. All right? So let's go there. Let's start right here in verse number three. When he came, when when Elijah came to Beersheba, remember he's on the run, he left his servant there. His, His lifelong, I would die for you servant. Closest friend, he left him. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert and he came to a broom tree, a big shade tree, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. How many of you have prayed that prayer? I have had enough, Lord. That's what he prayed. And he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And he shows us here the first step toward depression. Number one, wear yourself out. Now if you go backwards from this moment, Elijah has been in a three-year uh, just struggle and a battle. It's just been one struggle, one step of faith, one battle after another, one one trusting of God, one surviving, praying, just one after another after. It's like it never stops. And when I think about what Elijah's been through, it sounds just like a normal day in 2021. I mean, there's work pressure, there's school pressure, there's test pressure that you've got to take, there's there's, uh, money pressure, there's this next job pressure, I mean, there's just one thing, there's kids, and there's a ball game, and then there's an activity, and then there's another ball game, and then we got to fly to Dallas for the 10 and under all world Mac Daddy greatest softball girl championship in the world got to go because everybody else is going. And the coach said, if we don't go, we'll never get a scholarship for $2,000. And we'll spend $10,000 to go play softball for all the 10 and unders in the world. I mean, okay, if that's your thing, God bless you. But where does all this stop? Well, well preacher, I just want to give my kids what I never had. You know, I want to give, I, I don't care. I know it's wearing me out, but I'm doing it for the kids. What you're doing is you're, you're setting a model up for your kids to have no Sabbath and no time with the Lord. And, and, and you know, I'd be a miserable pastor to stand up here and not point out the obvious to you. I'd be a miserable pastor not to tell you the truth. God put us on this earth with a certain way our life is supposed to go and we are wearing ourselves out. High schoolers are stressed like never before with tests and and Zoom uh, Zoom classrooms and, and virtual learning. Sports are putting pressure on them. Social media is putting pressure. Most of you have no idea. If you didn't grow up as a teenager in the social media world, you have no idea. Don't tell your teenager to suck it up buttercup. They have pressure that you have never, well, I had pressure, that's true, but their pressure is so difficult that I read that during the pandemic, that the pressure on teenagers, suicide attempts and depression among teenagers is up 400% during the pandemic. It is a real problem. And then there are these micro stressors every day, little something that pushes you over the top, you know, like, like just delays of, of everything, you know, everything is delayed. I was just going through the drive through the other day. We're in a hurry. we got to get from here to there. And I just want to run in there. And there's 18 people in the line, and it's not even moving. So I whip in. I'm going to go inside this restaurant that I've been inside a lot during the pandemic. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, the door's locked. And I can't. And, and you know, have you ever been to a place where it's not that big a deal? I know they can't find enough work and can't find enough help. But I'm just like, uh, now that I didn't go in the line, three more cars got ahead of me in the line. And I'm just like, Ah! just wanted a bowl of rice and some chicken. You know, it's not that big a deal. It's just that, you know, they just, all the micro stressors got me and you were at the last line. That's what our world looks like right now. And, And you know what? That's not the way God wants us to live. When you add to that racial tensions that have ratcheted up in the last year, you add to that uh, political strife that's ratcheted up and our incessant need to argue on social media about all those things. Get them, preacher. They don't need to argue. They just need to listen how I'm right. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you. You that thinks I just got to tell them. And when I tell them, that, I felt the anointing when I press send. You know, I, I get that. You know, I, I feel that like if, if, if there was a t-shirt that would, would would epitomize how I feel, it would say, I'm not arguing, I'm explaining that I'm right. That's what my t-shirt would say. Okay, I get all that, but that is not the way God designed us to live. So I put together the pastor's pandemic protocol. I didn't put it in your notes. Some of you are like, where's that at? I didn't put it in your notes because I didn't want it to be used against me in court if it don't work out. <laughs> but you can write it on the side. Step number one is give somebody a break. We're in a pandemic. Just give somebody a break. Somebody said or did something. Somebody got stressed out on you. They freaked out and they fussed about something. And you know what? They don't even know it. They were just over the top. You just need to forgive them. Don't wait on them to ask for it. Just give somebody a break. Step number two is to give yourself a break. Okay? Because you freaked out on somebody or or you're not doing your best or you're, you're just not feeling up to par and you're putting too much pressure on yourself to be perfect, give yourself a break. High school students, give yourself a break. You you, you know, if you don't get that scholarship, that's okay. You know, it's like I tell my kid, you know, usually the valedictorian ends up working for somebody that was number 20 in the class anyways. Isn't that right, Matt Carmichael? Just saying, (laughs) I wasn't number one in the class, you know, you you know, you you don't have to put all the pressure on, on this one moment in front of you, give somebody a break, give yourself a break. And the third one, which could go sideways on you, but I'm going to tell it anyways, I think everybody deserves one free pandemic meltdown. They just freaked out. They just went over the top. They just kind of couldn't take it anymore. Might've been a bowl of rice and chicken for, you know, like, and you just got, you just melt down right now. Some of you, some of you, you've used yours already. You, you actually, you've used up for the next four pandemics. So you need to, you need to listen closely. All right today. But, 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 but there's where I want to start. When you wear yourself out and you don't recognize it, you're headed toward depression. All right. Here's the second thing that Elijah did, and we do. We shut people out. Remember when he took off into the desert, his best friend went a long way with him, and then he said, no, you can't go any farther. And he went all the way. That's where he just like gave up. He wanted to quit. He just wanted to die. And and what we end up doing is the people that love us the most, we, we stiff arm them. People who we ought to be in small group with, who who can lift us up, can love on us, can tell us that we're going to make it, can pray with us and pray for us. Well, we don't need that. I know everything, or you just wouldn't understand what it's like, or you know I just don't want my I just don't want my uh, dirty laundry aired out in front of other people. There's a hundred different excuses for not doing it, but you need to be in church every week with the people of God. You need to be in small groups. We have a freedom conference coming up that is going to be supernatural. I mean life changing. You're not allowed to even be there if you haven't gone through freedom curriculum. But I want to emphasize that if you went through freedom a year or two or even three years ago, and you've already been through, you need to go through freedom conference this time because there's going to be life changed. Strongholds are going to be broken. What I'm telling you is you need God moments. I mean, you have lived through some crazy funky moments in the pandemic, you need some God moments in your life. You need to be at a worship night. You need to be at encounter. You need to be at freedom conference. You need some God moments with the people of God. Here's what the Bible says about other people who are godly in your life. He says, just like iron sharpens iron, one person, I might add the right person, a sharp person will sharpen another person. If you're spending all your time with buzzards and you want to know why you're not soaring like eagles, because you're hanging out with buzzards all the time. All right. And the Bible says you need to have somebody who will lift you up. Watch this. Two are better than one. Cause if one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Well, I got friends all around me. The pro- yeah, I know. But the problem is they're all down. Yeah. Nobody going to lift you up when they're all down. When you fall down around some of your friends, they're like, what's up, bud? Glad you're here with me. Hold my beer. You know, that's the wrong group. You need to be with somebody can lift you up. Ask yourself this question. If I fall, are the friends that are around me, are they going to be the people that lift me up? Or are they already down in the bottom and they're just hoping for more company in their misery? Okay, the Bible says you need to have godly friends. You need to have righteous people around you to sharpen you. All right, so these are the things he did wrong. He wore himself out. He shut people out. Then he focused on the negative. He just kept talking about everything that was wrong in his life kept saying how awful things were. I'm the only one that's trying to serve God. Nobody's like me. They're trying to kill me. What we do is we exaggerate the negative. You know, this whole thing's about to blow up. I'm going to lose my job. You know, I'm the worst one in class. I got the lowest grade in the class. Nobody wants to go out with me. That's what high schoolers are worried about. You're exaggerating things. And the Bible says that your words have creative power. Do you know that? That the power of life, you're like, man, my, my, my life is a mess. It's it's just, but the power of life is in your tongue. You can speak positively, go to school, go to work with expectation, go into that marriage, go into that relationship, expecting good things, speaking life. But the Bible also says that the power of death is in your tongue. If you're constantly saying how wrong and how awful and how terrible, and you're exaggerating things, you're going to, you're going to invite that kind of environment into your life. So that's not where we want to be. We don't want to just work ourselves to death, shut godly people out, focus always and exaggerate the negative. And then the fourth thing he did, believe it or not, this prophet of God who raised the dead forgot God. And we can point at Elijah, how could a man who's called fire down from heaven in his prayers forget God? But we might just look in the mirror and say, well, how many times have I forgotten God? How many times have I just worked at it all with my own hands and my own ability and I've forgotten that God is still God? How many times have I forgotten how when I'm in his presence, I feel different and everything feels different. When I walk out of the building, some people have literally told me, pastor, I come into Daystar dragging myself like I've got you know a, a chain and an anchor holding me back and I float out the door. And then I forget that. I forget God and I don't go to church and I don't worship and I, I don't pray. How many times have we done the same thing and it's not, it's not God's plan. It is a recipe for burnout and depression. And I just want to stop right here before I show you God's solution. I just want to tell you God has a solution for you. If you're struggling right now with, with just, just burnout or, or feelings of depression or, or mental fatigue, I want you to know God is not here. You're going to see in just a minute. God doesn't get angry with Elijah. God's not pointing a finger at him. God wants to lift you. God's supernatural. This is not a seminar. I am not a seminar teacher. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who is trying to lead you into an encounter with God. I fully expect God to touch us today. I expect something supernatural to happen in this moment. I expect you to be lifted to a new level. I expect you to float out of this place with a new perspective, a fresh word from heaven. I expect people that you love, that you're praying for, to have a supernatural touch in their life because you were in the presence of God, because you spoke to God. I'm expecting God. Hey, everybody say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm expecting you. That's enough right there. Just I'm expecting you, Jesus. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, God, I'm expecting. I'm not waiting on this thing to be over. I'm not just trying to be a good guy or good girl. I went to church. I I did the thing I was supposed to do. No, I'm expecting an encounter with God. And that's exactly what Elijah got. God shows up. He sends an angel. And here's how the story uh, continues. He, He was laying under this tree and he fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him. See, that's what God wants to do, to touch us. And he said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around and right by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Now, Elijah's been asleep, so apparently Angel came down, made coals. This is the first angel food cake ever right there. <laughs> Bible for it right there. Angel made it. And it was a jar of water. He ate it and he drank it and then he laid down again. He ate, he, he took a nap, he got up and he ate. And he laid down again. How many feel the Lord in that right there? That's God speaking right there. So, watch this. Here's what you need to do. Here's the prescription eat, rest, and worship. You just need to eat. I I want you to notice the angel doesn't show up and say, I told you so. You haven't been obeying me. You should have never run away. He doesn't do any of that stuff. God just says, You know what? You're worn out. You put your body at a place where you can't be healthy. And what you need to do is just, just need to eat. Some of you are like, I, I'm doing number one, right? I'm eating a lot. <laughs> Had two Big Macs yesterday, all right? That's the wrong kind of eating, okay? What you need to do is take care of yourself. You need to eat in a way that you know, doesn't treat your Bible, uh, your body like a garbage heap, all right? But, but you're eating well and you're resting regularly, you know? You're getting enough sleep. Some of you, the most biblical, godly thing you could do today would be go home, have a nice lunch, and take a nap. Don't go home and go back to work. Don't go home and fix something else. Go, I mean, literally have a rest. That's what Sabbath looks like. If, if you keep reading, you're, and I'm not going to get to that today in the text, but if you keep reading, you'll find that after this exchange with God happens, Elijah gets up, he goes on to the mountain of God, to a place of worship. That's, that's why I added that what God was actually telling him was to eat and rest and worship. And when you look at those three things, what I see there is Sabbath. God commands a a one-day-a-week Sabbath. It's not been thrown away. It's it's not gone. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's the one we so gleefully and uh, proudly uh, violate. We talk about how busy we are, how I didn't get any sleep, how I've been working seven days a week. Like, that's just a, you know, nobody would go like, how you been, man, I've been lying. No, man, you think you've been lying. I've been lying a whole lot more than you've been lying. Uh, we, We don't brag about lying. Why do we brag about violating Sabbath? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And it's become something that is acceptable in our culture and, and, and celebrated in our culture, but it doesn't work. Your body was not meant for that. Some of us are like taking out a car. We took it back to the dealership because it just keeps running hot. We think there's something wrong with the car, but we've got it stuck in first gear and we get in the car with the, uh, with the shop technician and we drive it and we put it on the floor and it just runs all the way up in the red. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. That's the, here's what's wrong with your car. There's nothing wrong with your car. It's time for you to shift gears. You know, there's something that's got to change in your life. There needs to be a a shift. And, And we're doing the same thing with this body. This body, part of your body is your brain, by the way. Your mind, your body, your soul was designed by God for a certain pace. And in case you wonder what it looks like, this is the owner's manual for this right here. This is the owner's manual, okay? And instead of getting this on a regular basis, morning by morning, in small groups and in worship weekly, our culture has said, you know what, this is, this is not relevant to me anymore. And so we're feeding ourselves with pop culture things like social media and Netflix and our friends' ideas and activities and whatever else at work and school. And, and not all of it's bad, but none of it's anointed like this is. And so instead of feeding on this, we're feeding on the world and we're running in the red and we're waiting on God to catch up. We're waiting on culture to change. It's not going to happen. We're going to have to get back to what the 10 commandments says to observe Sabbath in your life. Sabbath means to pause and reflect. Everybody say those two words, pause and reflect. That's what you should be doing today. Pause, pause, stop. You've come to worship. You stop. You could have done something else today. You did the pause. Pause. Now it's time to reflect. What's God doing in my life? What's God saying to me? What is his word saying to me? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and ask God, what are you saying to me? What changes do I need to make? We need to reflect and ask God, what are you saying to me? I'm running out of time. Let's go on to the second part of this. Then he went into a cave and he spent the night and the Lord appeared to Elijah and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing, Elijah? And he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Now here's where he starts telling the truth but he also adds in a lie. And I'm going to skip ahead and tell you what your second point is. You want to get out of depression. You got to stop believing the lies, the negative lies, and trade it for the truth. I want to back up and show you how Elijah has exaggerated his problem. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord. That's true. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's also true. He says, they broke down your altars, true, and put your prophets to death by the sword, true. Then he says, I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me. Well, that is a lie. God later tells him, I've got 7,000 followers you don't even know about right now. I want to tell you right now in this moment, your plan that you've concocted might not be working. That does not mean God's plan's not working. All the details you see might be lined up against you, but God's got some details you haven't seen yet. Yeah, believe him for that. There's another turn to this story that you don't know about yet. There's another detail. There's another chapter. There's something else going on that you don't know about, and you're running. You're trying to make it happen. You've maybe given up. You're depressed because it's not working out. I'm telling you, keep trusting God. He has another version of his story. He has another chapter in the story that you have not seen yet. And he knows something you don't know. Just because your plan's not working doesn't mean God's plan's not working. So God tells him, I want you to rest and worship on your Sabbath. Then he says, I want you to stop believing the lies of the enemy that nothing's working and, and trust in my truth. And the last thing you would think Elijah would forget was this one. You need to get along with God. And Elijah wasn't doing that. Elijah had gotten comfortable with his own lifestyle. Watch this. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. I have to pause right there. God wants you in his presence. He says, the Lord's about to pass by. And then everything that Elijah was comfortable with happened. Because Elijah was flamboyant and he was a man of bright lights and big things. So a powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks. And he goes, man, there it is. That's my thing. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after that, a wind, uh, after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was what, church? He was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. Surely it's a fire because Elijah was all about calling down fire from heaven. But the Lord was not in the fire. He basically was saying all that stuff you're into, you need to chill on that and do it my way. After that fire, after the fire came, a gentle whisper. And that's where God showed up in his life. See, God wants to whisper something into our own life right now. God wants to touch us. The the Bible says that, he said, I want you to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because the Lord is about to pass by. That's my advice for you today. Go get in the presence of God and wait on the Lord to pass by. When Jesus passed by, 10 men with an incurable flesh disease were healed in an instant. Why? Because Jesus passed by. When Jesus passed by, a man who'd been blind his whole life was healed because Jesus passed by. When Jesus passed by, a grieving father whose daughter was dead miles and miles away, the dead daughter came back to life. Why? Because Jesus passed by. What does Jesus have to say to depressed people? Is he angry at us? Is he want to throw us away? Is he judging us? No, here's what he says. I want you to go get into the presence of the Lord because for you, the Lord is about to pass by. That's what the Lord has to say to you. I'm not going to throw you away. I'm going to pass by.